0: welcome to Sitcom Geeks. Once again, Dave Cohen and I are talking to Paul Merton, and this time we'll be talking about Galton and Simpson. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Paul, it's uh, this is this being Sitcom Geeks, and mm. one of the main uh, reasons we're here to talk to Paul, obviously we'd like to talk about his own career, but uh, principally uh, we want to talk to you about the um, Gorton and Simpson mm-hmm. and uh, your relationship mm-hmm. with them you've known them uh, a very long time haven't you but um just just as a sort of background you know when when you were a kid we we're, we were of a similar age I mm. think but mm. uh, presumably you were a very big fan from an early age Well I
2: remember I mean of course they would be you know the 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 most well known Ray and Alan Gorton and Simpson for Hancock's half hour and then Steptoe mm. and Son I I was slightly too young for Hancock's half hour when mm. it first went out um, but as your audience will, will no doubt know, uh, very sadly, Tony committed suicide in Australia in 1968. So after that, they had a, I remember they started showing his old programs on the BBC. So, uh, so, I, so they, they showed the Hancock shows in sort of 1968, and, but Steptoe and Son was really the, the, the one that sort of I got hooked on. And uh, there's an episode called Desperate Hours, which yeah. features uh, Leonard Rossiter and um, J.G. Devlin as two escaped prisoners who break into the, the uh, rag and boneyard. And I remember seeing that when it went out and uh, being a, a comedy fan. But in that, those days, you weren't, it wasn't easy to sort of research people. I saw Leonard Rossiter. And I thought I discovered somebody really good who had never, I'd never seen in anything else <laughs> before, yeah, you know. But yeah. about, at that point, he'd, he'd had a very strong stage career and he'd done a couple of films. He's in... I'm, uh the 2001: uh, A Space Odyssey film. Yeah, yes, It's
0: quite. Uh, if you're not prepared mm, for that, that's quite no. something, isn't it? When it get, totally ruins Kubrick's efforts to convince you
2: that you're in another century, because <laughs> yes. suddenly Rigsby or, or <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, turns up um, with a Russian accent.
1: Isn't he in uh, Oliver as well? The the Lionel Bart musical. I think yes, he's, he's heavily disguised. He's is not... he the funeral director? Yes, yes, yes that's right. Yes, yes. that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but again, it's a sort of. It, it, you, well, the, you, you can
2: yeah. kind of, you, you know, Oliver has got how he in it, you know, and he's got a few I think he healed a baker's in it as well in a very small role. So you can right. kind of buy that. But when Stanley Kubrick's gone to all this effort <laughs> to create, you know, the spaceships and the idea of the future and stuff, put it this way he wouldn't have cast Leonard Ross if Leonard Russell had already done Rising Damp. <laughs> <laughs> but of course he's about sort
1: of five or six years away from that. Yeah. I think yeah. you may be wrong about that. I don't I hate to correct mm. you, Paul, on, well, we on, on, a, on a fact, a yeah. film fact. But wasn't he in
2: Barry Lyndon Yes, but it comes after 2001. You're right. Yeah. So, yes, he might well have done, yes, because Barry Lyndon's about 73, is it? Yeah, Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Rising Damp, he'd
1: be around about that time, yeah. Um, uh, that Barry Lyndon was a very co- heavily never costumed seen drama. Yes, and so I've never seen that. Rossiter was very costumed. Is there. that the one with um, Ryan O'Neill? I can't remember. Because it? it's a
2: Stanley Kubrick story... Um, you know, he was maybe apocryphal, but, you know, he was a, a real stickler for detail and wanted mm. to get things exactly right. And there's a bit in the film where, um, I'm pretty sure it's Barry Lyndon, um, but it, it, it's a Kubrick film, and I think it's Ryan O'Neill as the actor, and he has to have um, one leg missing at the end of the film. And Kubrick wanted to do this camera move of 360 degrees around the actor to show that he had a leg missing. And this is, of course, before CGI. Mm. So he said, I, I need... I need a Ryan O'Neill look-alike who's only got one leg. <laughs> <laughs> so, the production team, production assistants. well, ears, they, they? They, they, they spent a lot of months, they found somebody, they were thrilled, they found somebody from a distance, could easily pass a Ryan O'Neill with one leg, they showed it to Kubrick and he said, it's the wrong leg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great so I don't know if that's yeah. a true story no. or not
0: but yeah, uh, so yeah. yeah so anyway so yeah. So
2: yes certainly 2001 you have uh, Leonard <laughs> yeah. Ross so when I saw him in Desperate Hours uh, I, I thought I discovered somebody who hadn't been seen before um, and I also know that for Ray and Alan although they never said this is our absolute favourite episode they were very fond of that particular episode mm. of Steptoe and Son Mainly because um, sometimes the actors could fall into... When actors in a long-running thing can fall into habits and, they, and their performances can sometimes be slightly um, mechanical, slightly mm. as they've done it before, routine. Mm. But with Rossiter in there, who really was a scene-stealer, harry h corbett particularly had to be on his very best and he is he's absolutely superb in it Uh, and everybody in that cast is they were all firing on all cylinders and i think that the the line at the end when they sort of like they put the money in the meter and the lights come up and the and the prisoners have gone and harry h corbett's line is something like oh well time to lock up the cage and that's a just a really a piece of writing it was extraordinary you know and it still stands up brilliantly because um you know, there's nothing in the episode really, particularly, that dates it because a junkyard is junkyard. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. apart from the fact you haven't got old computers lying around, you know, you've still got you know rag and bone stuff. Although rag and bone men don't exist anymore, but you've got the stuff bare and you've yeah. got sort of a skeleton and you've got sort of bric-a-brac lying around. So nothing about it looks particularly dated. Uh, it is an extraordinary episode. And I know that was one of their favourites. I had the uh, the great sort of. Um, blessing to watch it at least two or three times with them over the years you know and they they were always very happy to sort of watch it and uh, I I think that for them it was a you know it it was a real uh, the planets
0: aligned in a way don't they and they just create something that's well it was just
2: super it was just a brilliant idea wasn't it you know the 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 central idea
0: great idea for an episode Mm. the best casting you could have gotten Mm. for it and then executed and the central
2: Mm. twist is that the prisoners think they're actually better off in prison than the two (laughs) of them are you know, yeah. with no electricity yeah.
1: and, and and no food. You know. Yeah. Um, so well, the oh. I was going to say wasn't Leonard Roster the original one of the original people who were considered for the part of Harold? That I don't know. I'm not sure. No, I, as far as I'm aware,
2: I think they were always after Harry yeah. H Corbett. Oh, well, well, I can okay. tell you this isn't this is this is a very little known story um, that I was told that. Wilfred Bramble and uh, Harry H. Corbett they're in the first series they do the well you'll know that Comedy Playhouse was the thing that after uh, Ray and Alan left Tony Hancock uh, brilliant writers that they were they wrote 12 episodes of a show called Comedy Playhouse but each episode was a completely different setup with different characters a different situation I did two or three of them you know when I was doing the series with them so I mean to that's extraordinary to have come up with 12 different sets. Cell- and one of them was called The Offer. And one of them was about a rag and bone man and living with his dad. And they'd worked with comedians before exclusively. Um, Tony Hancock, Frankie Howard, they did a lot of stuff with. And there was a moment in The Offer where, right, the basic plot was always the same kind of thing in Steptoe and Son, that the old man's holding back the young guy. And the young guy at the end of the office says, "Okay, I'm leaving. I'm going." And so they're going to split the they're going to split what they have in half. So the old man's going to keep the horse, but the young, the, the the son Harold, he can keep the cart. <laughs> <laughs> so he he gets into the cart and he tries to pull the cart, and he can't he can't move it. And as they're doing the show in front of the audience that night, and there's a close up of Harry H. Corbett trying to move the cart, much to Ray and Alan's absolute amazement there was tears forming in his eyes as he the real tragedy of this moment where he Mm. can't physically move the car he he is trapped he cannot move and they said at the time he said like no comedian at that time would have done that you know would have sort of looked you know would have played that vulnerability because it's not i mean most comedians now wouldn't play it. Mm. Um, but but for an actor that's a real meaty moment to play um, so so that was so So I had so I was sort of like you know I, I knew quite a bit of Steptoe and Son and I you know as I was growing up uh, as you know Dale, I, I was a big fan of comedy and so I'd read autobiographies and, and biographies of people so I knew a fair bit, a bit, bit about Ray and Alan now the first time I met them was via a guy that you'll remember Paul Spencer who's yeah, yeah. A radio mm-hmm. producer at the time and uh, about 1992 I can't not quite know why it was but Have I Got News For You had been going for a couple of years and I think suddenly Sometimes in people's careers, they suddenly get to a moment where people go, oh, he's really good. We must offer him stuff. He's new. He's fresh. He's whatever, whatever. And so in that period, after about two years, I, was, I had meetings for about a week where I remember Colton TV, as they then were, wanted to offer me a, a, a nightly chat show, somebody else, something else. And Paul Spencer came in to see me. He says, he says I know this, sounds, this is going to sound really strange, he said, but I've been speaking to Galton and Simpson. And they wondered whether you'd be interested in remaking some of the Hancock shows. So so my first thought is, well, that's a that's a crazy idea because you immediately think, well, you know, why remake them? And then, you know, so I so we met. So we met up. We met up first of all. And it was took about two years for the I can't say they really put any pressure on me. Ray and never put any pressure on me to do Mm -hmm. it. But I was very aware, as they were aware as well, that this is something that could immensely backfire on me because Mm. essentially, although I'm I'm not saying I want to do it, or it wasn't my idea. They had approached me. I would never have dreamt in a million years to say, oh, let's redo Hancock. Mm. But um, they said, well, you know, they, they were all made in black and white and also the early days of making the Hancock shows on TV. That's why I think a lot of the radio shows stand up better than the the TV, because the TV technology in the mid-50s was pretty basic, Mm. and you had this thing where you'd have to shoot in 10-minute chunks, and if somebody made a terrible mistake 9 minutes and 30 seconds in, and it was a really terrible mistake, like they completely fluffed their lines, or they Mm. they came through the wrong door, or whatever Mm. it was, you'd have to go back and do the whole 10 minutes. So you couldn't pick it up, you had to go, so, so unless it was a really terrible mistake, you tended to say, okay, that'll be fine. So when you see some of the early Hancock shows on TV, there are some pretty grim mistakes. There's right. one right at the end of one of the shows where um, uh, Tony walks into a, 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 a restaurant and there's somebody sitting at a table with a huge sort of like uh, full scap newspaper in front of them, you know, a proper big mm. broadsheet. And uh, Tony says, hello, Sid. And it's, we're not meant to know it's Sid James. It's meant to be a reveal when it comes down. <laughs> so the paper starts shaking. Uh, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's just,
0: it's, <laughs> the whole end
2: is ruined. But because it's right at the end, and, yeah. and they may have had to go back already during the evening, yeah. there was nothing It it's kept. Yeah, yeah, You right, know, there's right. another one I saw recently that's called, um, and I've only started watching them again for a reason. I'll go into it in a moment. There's one called The Lawyer where um, Sid, uh, Tony's a, a lawyer in court and he's got Sid James in the witness box. He says, now, Mr. Jones. And Sid James says, James. Oh, yes, James. Yes, yes, I thought I recognised you. But he, he gets his name wrong. But they, they had to live their way out of it. It's fine. And I, So when this was first put to me to, to do this, I said, mm. well, let's... OK, and I met up with Ray and Alan and we had some... I knew the same part of London as they did. I grew up roughly in the same part of London as they did. Right. Streatham, Morden, end of the Northern Line is a place called Rose Hill, which is basically just a roundabout right. where Ray used to live and Alan went to school in Mitcham where I went to school right. as well. So we had a kind of sort of biographical um, even though there was like I don't know how to do 20 years difference between us, 30 years difference between mm. us. Uh, we had a kind of sort of connection through that. But so in the end having met up with them a couple of times, we decided to do one Let's, let's do one as a, mm. as a one-off, just to see how it goes. Mm. Bear it in mind that, you know, I, I it was going to be, uh, critically, uh, I was setting myself up for a yeah. passion, but on the other hand, I was thinking, well, I could get the chance to work with Ray and Alan, yeah. you know, what am I, you know, yeah. am I going to say, oh, you know, it seems a bit sort of like, I can take it on the chin if I'm working with Ray and Alan. Yeah, yeah. So we did, um, we did the pilot called The Lift, which was the first one we did, and... Um, it's quite an amusing story about that in that um i was also doing have a Good news for at the time while i was rehearsing the lift and uh, peter jones from just a minute was in the cast and uh, he, he features in this story right at the end he supplies the punchline for this story <laughs> um i i i phoned I, I phoned home and my wife said oh um so from have a news said, i'll be home in an hour or something she said oh i've just had um i've had a pr person on the phone they said there's there's Going to be six pages in the Daily Mirror tomorrow about your cocaine habit. <laughs> now, <laughs> this was a bit of a shock because I didn't have a cocaine <laughs> habit. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, what, what, what do you mean? So, 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 anyway, it was in the Daily Mirror. So I went to, the, I went to Waterloo Station and got the, the, the first copy coming out. Because I, I knew that Waterloo Station, where they pack the train, yeah. you know, the, the, the newspapers on the train, you can get an early copy. There was yeah. nothing in it there. And I remember my wife had said, oh, it's not going to be in the first edition because they don't want their rivals to get a hold of the story. So I go home and I think, well, what, you know, what is this? How can there be, you're trying to, you know, it's even though I know I didn't have a cocaine habit, yeah. it's as if somebody says, well, you we accuse you of the murder of, because you go, I've still got a, how can there be six pages? How can, how, yes, uh, how yeah. can there be stuff yeah, yeah. when I, there, there isn't anything there? So uh, I think she had a, a half a sleeping pill because I couldn't get to sleep. So I took half this sleeping pill. I woke up the next morning, looked out the window expecting to see journos hanging around the gate nobody there nobody
0: so like, this is odd and so, that's frankly a little bit offensive now well come <laughs> on it was you know <laughs> what's going on tinged this with,
2: pr person yeah. was convinced was you know You're right so i <laughs> so I'm, head, I'm heading into rehearsals with the lift i say to the uh, guy i said to the driver i said can we just stop at the news <laughs> i go into the, the, the front page headline Paul Merson, <laughs> my cocaine hell, who was then an Arsenal footballer, right? Yeah. So, oh,
0: yeah, yeah. I rem- so, I remember that Paul Merson story now. This will be this will be about ninety four, something like that. Yeah. So
2: I'm, I go into the rehearsal room. Now so half the cast have heard stuff on the car radio coming in, or, or they, so they. Some of them think it is me.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm wondering whether I'm going to turn up at all. I come in and show the headline, and everybody laughs, you know. And then, uh, and then the, remember the cast comes in quite late. And says, "Oh God, are you all right?" I said, "No, no, it's, it's all right. It's, it's, it's Paul Merson." And then I told the story about taking the half of the sleeping pill. And Peter Jones said, "Oh, so it started then." <laughs> <laughs> so we did the lift, and uh, I was the same age as Tony was—thirty-six when I did that. And uh, that's, people were happy with how that went. Now, so we decided to go for the series. And, 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 the, and the deal was, I mean, Ray and Allen came into rehearsals every day. So they were there every single day. Um, two reasons. Firstly, they want to be there if anybody wants any help. And they're also to make sure that nobody's changing lines. Yeah. You know, quite rightly so. Absolutely. And I said to them very early on, I said, look, I, I'm doing Gorton and Simpson scripts. I'm not doing some script that yeah. we knocked about in the rehearsal room. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're, we're doing what it yeah. is uh, you, know, to, you know, to make sure that they knew that. And very early on, Alan said to me, he said, well, I'm, he said, I don't laugh very much. He said, I'm more of a smiler. <laughs> and it was only years later that I realised we talking to him because he'd worked with comedians like Frankie Howard, for yeah. example, who said, you didn't laugh at that joke. Yeah, That's one of yours, you didn't laugh, you know, and all this yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so Alan was making yeah. sure that I wasn't going to be one of those who was saying, well, you know, well, <laughs> yeah. why didn't you laugh at that sort of thing? <laughs> um, but we started it and we did, a, we did a couple of shows on location which weren't Tony uh, scripts. Uh, one was called m which was the first one we filmed which for, which the is car one, is the car one. Yeah, yeah, and the, uh, the the basic yeah. plot of it is you've got a guy in a Volkswagen it's a country lane in the middle of as we were in Derbyshire mm. coming up one way there's a very posh car Rolls Royce coming the other way there's no room for either one to pass None of, both of them refuse to back up right. so there's a, there's a, it's an m mm. now the story of how they wrote that script is a testament to their brilliance as writers they would tend to with these comedy playhouse scripts and it was one of those one of the 12 mm. different ones Right, they're trying to write one a week, you know, one a week. Wow. And this week, nothing was happening. They would, they would be in the habit of lying on the floor, looking up at the ceiling, saying something. Sometimes they wouldn't say anything for hours, trying to... nothing. Friday, and you know, Friday of that week, still they've had Nothing. Graham Stark, who was uh, a friend of theirs, who um, appears as uh, Inspector Clouseau's sidekick in A Shot in the Dark, and he was right. a good, good friend of Peter Sellers, he's, he comes in to see them at the offices because he's found the clipping in a newspaper from the Times about two cars in a country lane, and one won't back up and the other one won't back up, and Ray looked at each other and so said, that's it, that's <laughs> it, we've got it. So, but even, but even rather than sort of like writing it there, they decided, they went to the pub and yeah. said, well, are coming early tomorrow, Saturday. They yeah. came in early on Saturday. It started at nine o'clock and had finished it by midday. The script, <laughs> the, the half hour script finished in three hours. Wow! And I said, to, I said, why three hours? And then I said, well, I probably had to go to the football, you know. So I, <laughs> but they, and they, they realised that they sort of, they realised there was a certain amount of material they could get out of the argument. But they said the real key thing was then we realised that one of them calls the AA man and one calls the RAC man and then those two start the RAC oh. And so they could build it from there, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and then the great twist at the end is that the guy in the Rolls Royce is going the wrong way anyway. He needs to back up and go that way <laughs> if he's going to somebody else's house. So, so we did that on location. Now, when we came to the first of the studio recordings up in Nottingham, we did one called "The uh, Twelve Angry Men." Yes, uh, it's a famous one. Now, mm. this is where I, I handicapped myself a bit, but I couldn't really figure out then a way of doing. It. I suppose thinking about it now, I'm still not sure. I knew this, I knew the program with Tony very well because I, I you know, I bought them on videotape and mm. stuff. But as soon as this thing came through, I thought, well, I, I won't watch any Hancock right. stuff because I don't want to be seen to be doing Hancock. Mm. But that speech, particularly. Yeah. Um, Magna Carta, yeah. did she die in vain? Yeah. That poor Hungarian peasant girl who forced King John to sign the pledge at Runnymede and closed the boozers at half past ten. It was, I couldn't think of a way of doing it that didn't sound like Tony Hancock. Right. And I didn't want to be, that was yeah. a luck because I was never going to try and do like Kevin McNally's brilliant impersonation. Yeah. On the That's not yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be Tony. Yeah. Um, So I I have never watched it back, that show, but I think I just didn't get it right at all. I I just didn't get it right. I was was avoiding... As I just said it just now, I should have been more like that. But at the time, I just had his intonation in my head and I just don't think I made it work uh, on that one. But we did something like, I think it was about eight shows in that series, and by the end of the run... I was, I, it was a steep learning curve. It was a very steep learning curve. But there was two ones that were... the radio ham worked very well in yes, my view. Yeah. And there was also one called the Hancock Alone or Home Alone, which was just the solo one, the one on yeah. you know just one person right. on their and own. One, yeah. And I was and I was very pleased with how that went. Oh yes, um, the
0: um, uh, the it was, it was like Sunday afternoon in. Yeah. Yes. 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 And it's, and uh, we still quote that in my house at home because occasionally I do sort of say half an afternoon. afternoon well, I turn in now, <laughs> yes. he's so bored, he decides he's going yes. to go to bed in the middle he's tr- of the office. He's trying to
2: find out if his teeth are loose. Is that teeth teeth or Is my finger going in and out? <laughs> but I suggested a couple of... I suggested that we, this is a nice little touch, which they, they, they thought they were very happy with. I said, by the front... By the door... Of the flat, let's just have a hat stand and have an Astrakhan collar coat and a homburg yeah. hat just hanging there. Yeah, 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 so yeah. it's not—I'm not wearing it, but yeah. it's there, yeah, and yeah. nobody'll ever spot it. Yeah. But it's there, yeah. you know. So that was the um, the first series that I did. When we did a second series after that, but it was. Uh, You know, I mean, it wasn't particularly well liked by critics and stuff because it's very obvious to say, oh, well, he thinks he's Tony Hancock, sort of thing. Um, But in terms of viewing figures, I mean, it was the highest-rated ITV series sitcom that year. The lift when it went out, it's halfway through the series, got ten and a half million viewers. I mean, BBC was showing something boring when you only Mm -hmm. had four channels, and so our figures went, you know, up from about we were around about seven and a half, I seem to remember. Were shot up to ten, and so we did the second series, and and, and that was great as well. And um, I mean, this was the funny thing about doing the one on my own because the the, the twelve Angry Men had a huge cast. You've got a, you've got the judge, you've got the jury, you've mm. got the the, the lawyers, and so there's about twenty people in this room. Right. And by the end of the series, I come in, <laughs> and it's just me sitting there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was that was great. And so after that, I sort of like carried on. I mean, I got to know them both very well, uh, mm. and the the. the the thing is you could hear I can hear in the rhythms of the radio shows, because the radio shows are much easier for Tony to to perform because mm. he's got the script in front of them. And what people always said about the Hancock that was working with Ray and Allen on the radio was that the first time he saw the script, it was just it was just he just read it brilliantly. Yeah. Now, I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that it's the character of Hancock is an amalgam of Ray, Alan and Tony. Right. They're taking stuff from him but occasionally I hear in Tony's intonation something that Alan would say
0: uh, and sometimes
2: yeah. I hear an intonation something that Ray would say. Okay. Now I, I, I can't prove who said no, what and sure, whatever okay. but having known Ray and Alan for, you know, 30 mm. odd years and you, you meet them, you know, we, we would go for lunch three or four times a year so they were, you know, they became good friends and I would I know their sort of vocal and Alan would be sort of like the, the one that would be... Um, perhaps the one you might think would be the sort of driving force of it. But then you hear mm. Ray say something in conversation. It was just like, you know, undercut it and puncture it and stuff. Mm. So they were both brilliant at what they did. And I think, although there's nobody's ever really come up for an explanation of how Tony sort of subsided so quickly, mm. I somebody sent me the other week... He did this show after he'd sort of essentially... Well, I don't know if he'd say he sacked Ray and Alan, but... Um, He'd done this series with them where in 1961, where I don't think any comic has ever been so well served by writers mm. outside of maybe Phil Silvers and Nat Firing for Sergeant Bilko. Yeah. Where in that last series, which you know was without Sid James, uh, and this was something that Ray and Alan were always fond of saying when people would say, "Oh, I, it was never the same without Sid James," and say, "Well, what was your favourite Hancock. Oh, the blood donor. Well, Sid's not in that." Yeah. yeah he's not in, and that's the radio sort of, ham the yeah, radio yeah. ham yeah. the blood donor the yeah. bowman's the parody of the archers yeah, well, the yeah. lift yeah. Um, there's, there's five, of the, five of the six scripts are, are, are classics yeah, are absolute classics it's then that he sort of like they've made the film The Rebel Ray and Alan are writing another film script they come up with an idea they write, write it up Tony doesn't like it so they go away they come up they write another script another, sort of, a screenplay mm. Tony doesn't like that one either and it's now been six months, and as Rain said, well, we've been working six months without, you know, we haven't been paid for any of this. Right. So, and Tony said, well, you know, maybe we should take a rest of it, maybe we should give it, you know, so, he, bizarre, you know, really, is inexplicable that he should do this, mm. that he should do this, because he was in the habit of, when they started the series in the, um, when it was about 54, radio series, um, the idea was straight away not to be like a goon show, not to have funny voices, yeah. not to have catchphrases and stuff. Mm. That goes out the window straight away because Dennis Mayne Wilson cast Kenneth Williams, yeah. who was that straight actor at that yeah. point. Yeah. He was playing the part of the Dauphin in St. George Bernershaw's St. Joan. So, <laughs> but, so you don't know you've just cast one of the greatest radio character yeah. actors ever. Yeah. Mm. And so all that sort of like, oh, stop, stop messing about and yeah. all that sort of thing. I mean, it's gold. It's yeah. gold dust for a writer yeah. to be able to go to that character every week. Yeah. Yeah. And although
0: the story and to, to know to know that the word hello is going to get a huge laugh. Well,
2: there we are. You've reminded me of something here. This, I think, is the one word hello. There is a, the most brilliant laugh where radio paints the picture. I mean, that's mm. a cliche that radio paints mm. the picture, but here is a perfect example of it. In the Hancock Diary show, where he's boasting about being in the RAF and being this test pilot. Yeah. And you hear him up in the plane and Hattie Jakes comes over the, the uh, intercom and says um, uh, something along the lines of um, ground controls to Pilot Hancock. We, we're, your mechanic is missing. We can't <laughs> find him. We, ex- we, we, we suspect sabotage. Then he says, oh, I, I don't know anything about any mechanic. Everything's flying well. Then we hear a knock on the window. <laughs> <laughs> and he pull, you hear the sound of a window. Oh, good evening. You know. <laughs> and it turns out that, uh, you know, so, so Kenneth Williams is on this. Episode. I've heard that one. Yeah. Yeah, it was a
0: song, yeah, and that but, reveal was hilarious. <laughs> but this
2: is the bit. This is the bit where, sort of like so he goes, uh, so he's, oh, what's this button do? Boom. And, it, and you hear there's this explosion, and it's the ejector seat. And he said, oh, God, where have you gone? And he said, I'm sitting out here on the towel, ta- now and distant, you know, I'm sitting out here on the towel. Ta- um, oh, what should I do? We'll, we'll put him into a dive I don't know what to press. Hang on. You hear another bang. And he just did, hello. And you know he's landed in the same place. Now... To do that in one word, yeah, yeah. you know, you it's could amazing. have said, oh, oh, hello, I'm sitting next to you now, or, yeah. or something, but Don't no, hello,
0: <laughs>
2: that is just, that is just brilliant. You know, I, I sometimes think about this, like, you know, when I used to do stand-up, I, the first time i ever i thought of a new joke which wasn't very often but when i did it first time it never worked hardly ever worked and usually because i wasn't giving the audience enough information yeah i could see what the joke was a so over here that's yeah. the joke so then you have to give a bit more information. If you give too much information it's obvious. Yeah. So it's almost like a sort of spark that goes between t- I'm holding my yes. two fingers up apart yes. now about a foot apart. If the spark is that wide they can make that leap. Yeah, yeah. If it's that wide they don't get it. If yeah. it's there it's obvious. Yeah. yeah. So there has t- not in every joke because yeah, yeah. there is but, no rule yeah. of comedy but it feels that can't like be you're connecting stuff. And, and then like and they have to make the final yeah, connection. Yeah. They have to make that little leap. Yeah. If it's too far they don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. If there's no leap at all it's like, well, what's the joke? What's the joke? So um yeah, so, I, I, so, so Tony sort of inexplicably gets rid of them. And uh, I was, as I was saying, somebody sent me some shows that he did for ITV wow. uh, in 63, which went out <clears throat> the same night as Steptoe and Son. So, and he's just, comp- he's really, he's, I mean, the scripts are terrible. Mm. He is really pissed these, off. for these Sid and Dick? Uh, no, it was, ones, no, right? I don't think Sid and Dick ever wrote, wrote with him. It was... Um, there's a whole number of people. Ray Allen, the Ventriloquist, did some of them. Right. A guy called Richard Harris, not the actor, a, a playwright called Richard Harris, who I think wrote There's a Girl in My Soup. Right. <laughs> they weren't I think even Terry Nation, the guy that uh, came up with the Daleks of Doctor Who wrote some. So I mean it was they I mean there's one show, I mean it's just he's in a bad mood. He's just in a bad mood for no reason at all. I mean, as David Renwick points out in One Foot in the Grave, there's always a reason why Victor's in a bad mood. Yeah. He does he's not just in a bad yeah, mood, yeah, it's yeah. because he's the, the queue at the fishmongers is, yeah, is yeah. you know, longer than he expected it to be, or mm. that marvellous moment of the Christmas one of the Christmas specials where he opens a Christmas cracker and finds that the joke in the Christmas cracker is about him. <laughs> What's the difference between Richter Meldrew and somebody who can't make pancakes properly? Answer they're both useless tossers. <laughs> and it turns out he's insulted somebody in the shop who has diff- made up this particular thing to stick in a Christmas cracker. Cracker. Yeah. Yeah. So there was always a reason why Victor would lose his thing. But there's one, there's one episode which I saw the two that the guy sent me and they're actually quite dispiriting to watch. Um, there's one where he's in a, he wakes up in a hotel room. He's been on a binge, a drunken binge. You can't remember why he's there or who the people are around him. Mm. And in the last half it's a half hour show in a, you know, 25 minutes ITV. And in the last two or three minutes, there's a scene where a, another guy comes in who's got a bottle of whiskey and they share a whiskey. And then there's one more scene where Tony goes up to the reception to talk to the hotel receptionist. And he's
1: clearly drunk. Mm. He's clearly yeah. drunk. He's clearly it sort of foretells his story, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. Really, yeah. that's how he yeah. dive, he's, sort he's not, not meant to, to be drunk, but, and that, but he, that but he, that he is. Juice they were drinking, yeah. It mm. wasn't.
2: I, I mm. you know, and uh, I spoke to people who worked on that show who said that he, you know, he'd turn up at rehearsal at 11 o'clock and say, Well, they're open, and then he'd go into the pub. And so, without that thing about without having Ray and Alan's scripts. I mean he was a brilliant performer of their material. Yeah. Um he wasn't the, he was one of that last breed of
1: comedian that didn't write their own material. Mm. But wasn't there a, a, probably one of the reasons why I suppose that he you know it was a gradual thing was wasn't it where he left uh, mm. Ray and Alan? and I think it, what what I've read elsewhere is the sense that he he always felt um that it it was he deserved more credit. And, I, and I'm sure mm. that while he was aware that, that the scripts were great, that presumably as, as, as the alcoholism was, was getting worse, mm. it became more of a uh, a kind of a, a resentment that, that yes. didn't have... that You couldn't just say, yeah, OK, here's the logical situation. Yes. I'm incredibly famous and successful... Nobody knows who they are. I, you know, I, mm. I, I get all that credit. Mm. I, mm. I accept that they are mm. responsible for
2: eighty mm. percent mm. of it, or whatever. Well, you may know from your experience that comedians aren't always generous about writers. Really? And, <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> um, but you know, but that's kind of common. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a kind of common thing.
0: Mm. Um, but also, they they sort of know that the people at home don't care who wrote it, really so the well, element think, of they want to believe that they just came up with it yeah it's amazing how often yeah. you get asked about a sitcom that you actually wrote all of they want to know what were the ad libs which of the lines mm, basically yeah. which lines didn't you write mm,
2: so that mm. we can be more well I think also the them. trap is because you I mean obviously you know he becomes increasingly you know more and more alcoholic Uh He's he can't be the Tony Hancock that people want him to be. Yeah, mm. he, you know it's not he, he he's not like a, a modern day comic that writes his own material mm. and can go onto a chat show and yeah. and, and be funny yeah. as themselves or or as the invented yeah. persona, the exaggerated persona. It's like Carry like Grant's you know. problem as
0: well. I think had a similar problem, didn't he? In terms of. People just off stage, off-screen, wanted him to be Cary Grant. Mm, mm. And he he was painfully aware that he just wasn't. Mm. And as
2: an example of somebody that could do it very well, Eric Morcom. I mean, Eric Malcolm yeah. was a very funny man, very funny ad libber uh, always that the writers always understood how Eric and Ernie worked, and then, and Ernie was brought up in by Eric Braben to, mm. and Eddie Braben to, to be more of a character as mm. well. But Eric could be funny all the time. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was compulsively funny. Yeah. So, so that that wasn't a problem for him, but for Tony, um, mm. if people are expecting him to be, you know, the man that comes up with a pint that's very nearly an armful, yeah. he isn't. Yeah. He's yeah. not that guy. Yeah. Mm. Um, so Ray and Alan didn't you know they sort of they they went on they so Steptoe and some cruelly was going out the same time as his other mm. show.
0: There was another. I remember seeing an episode where Hancock was playing some kind of. He was in. It was it was a bit like a Wagner opera or something that was being rehearsed. I remember seeing him in in the with a helmet thing and it wasn't one of the Goldman and mm. Simpson ones, I do remember feeling sort of embarrassed really, because it was just like it was It's very strange around.
2: what he did I and mean, maybe he just wanted to say, you know, because he said, you know, maybe it's part of that same thing, because Kenneth Williams, we talked about him earlier, but eventually he was sort of like Elbowed out, or you know, we don't do funny voices. Yeah. Off you go. But but it, I sh- you should always point out mm. that I mean they did a, a large number of shows with a funny voice. It wasn't sort of like mm. he did it one week and Tony said oh, I don't think so. I mean it's about 30 episodes or mm. something like that yeah. where where Kenneth is doing the voice. So it was it was a gradual thing rather than an immediate sort of uh, oh I don't like him getting laughs or whatever. Sid James he didn't want people to think of him as a double act, so Sid had to go. So the last thing is well I don't want people to think I'm a creation of Gault and Simpson but mm. you are. Yeah. You, you yeah. I mean, they're, you they're, you are inspiring them yeah, yeah. and there would be moments where they would write something that he'd said to them in the pub and put it into the thing and he'd sort of look and give them a wink and, yeah. you know, but you are partly, it's a creation between the three of you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, th- nobody else is going to be able to write
1: that stuff. Yeah. Didn't they say that with Steptoe that they were basically taking Sid and, uh, Sid and Tony and making, uh, and, and like, to a certain extent, the, the Hancock uh, character w- w- was uh, Harold, and that mm. um, Sid was was I, I with, did, with the family. I think I
2: did see yeah. that once in an interview. They never said that to me. They, right. I, I think it's sort of, it, yes, it's kind of a double act. But I think the sort of, well, in a way, I mean, on the in the radio series, certainly Sid's always playing the man that's. Um, you know getting the better over Tony he's always playing some confidence trick on him or something um, which in radio terms you can well believe and some of the early TV ones when they do the same kind of plot it doesn't it it doesn't really ring true because mm. TV is more of a it's more realistic in the sense yeah. that you you the plots have to be slightly yeah. they can be a bit more cartoony on radio yeah. and you can, you can buy it yeah you know um, on TV because you have that Layer of realism, even if it's only black and white. There's you, so many still, visual
0: clues that you're picking up something. Yeah, yeah, it has yeah,
2: to be more. It has to be more true to life yeah. in a way. Yeah, not 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 comedy. Com, not comedy generally because you can be very surreal. But 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 for, for his kind of comedy, yeah. it needed to be the the. For example, the Rebel is a you know a magnificent film, and I'm I'm trying at the moment to see if we can get somebody interested in restoring it because. It's, if you look at the Rebel now, uh, 1960 it was made, it's now the colours of, it, it, it's predominantly a red cut picture. Right. The greens have sort of very much faded. It needs to be remastered, restored. They need to go to the original prints, which people can do these days. Yeah. I mean, all the Ealing comedies have been done. So I'm just trying to see if somebody at the BFI is interested in it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's, it's the only
1: work we have of Tony and Gordon and Simpson in colour. And it's a great film. Mm. Yeah. I think that was probably the first time that I saw Tony Hancock was was mm. The Rebel, and I was mm. I remember being completely blown away. By oh, that, that
2: whole scene with uh, Irene Handel mm, when yeah. she first comes in and sees the uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the statue, just, yeah. you know, the, the, the yeah. sculpture and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's 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 brilliant, you know. Yeah. Uh, she looks at the painting. What's that? It's a self portrait. Who of? Who of? Lollinardi, you know, and all that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> Um, but as as, as women yeah. as I see them, are oh, you poor bloke! Yeah. Fancy knocking about with women look like that.
1: Mm-hmm. I hate to think what your kids would look yeah. like.
2: I mean, every line
1: yeah. is very funny. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was just just going back to that mm. point at which uh, you know you met Ray and mm. that, and and, um, just, uh, and and knowing as you know that. that you know, you know what a what a fan you were of mm. their writing, mm. and of mm. Tony Hancock, mm. and the sense that the, these guys are saying to you, "We think you're, you know, you 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 are kind of a modern version of of Hancock." I mean, must yeah, maybe, sort of. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it was just sort of. Uh, I mean, Alan hadn't been in the
2: rehearsal room since the end of Steptoe. He'd retired. Yeah. Uh, In seventy seven, I think it was seventy six. His wife had wasn't very well at the time, and he took a year off to look after her, and then uh, realised that actually he didn't miss it.
0: And and they had astonishing. I find that that's what I find astonishing is the fact that you know they they they, they've lived such a long time, and they could easily have done more. They had written six
2: hundred scripts in twenty five years. Wow. So you know you're, you're it's. And Alan had his uh, Hampton and Richmond football club. Uh, I used to go and watch the games with him and uh, ray warned me very early on alan has no sense of humor about hampton and richmond football club so don't don't make any jokes about hampton and richmond football club because their their nickname was the beavers and you've always got hampton in the name i mean you know it's like it's, you know that's cockney rhyming in slang, yeah. hampton wick but no i i the only time and I, I ever sort of risked it was once when um, the ball was kicked over the fence and went into a, a, a in somebody's neighbour's garden or something and I said I suppose that's the that's the uh, that's the gate money gone <laughs> and he smiled with a smile that said that's yeah. one's um, enough yeah, you've had, that's it <laughs> just, yes. you've had that don't now. expect to be my guest here you know. again yeah. <laughs> so he was so I, I mean and that so after we'd made the series and I think uh, just for meeting them the first time there was n- nervous on my part obviously mm. because I knew it was going to be described as you know, I think I'm Hancock or something, but yeah. then but they, they, had a, they had approached me, yeah, so that made a big difference. I wouldn't, as I said, I would never have gone the other way round And we we liked each other, yeah. And they knew that I wasn't going to try and change the scripts. I mean, when they worked with Les Dawson, Les was also always yeah. trying to change the scripts. Yeah. Uh, Frankie Howard was sort of like, Well, you didn't laugh at that, as I was saying yeah. earlier, but they said, See, I was just thrilled and pleased to be with them, yeah. uh, and I wasn't going to change anything, you know. And is it also
0: maybe a, there was a, a connection that you'd you'd come up in comedy through, you know, you sort of worked your way up without going to kind of the graduate Oxbridge sort of route. Yeah, working class, element? I
2: suppose. Yeah, we're all working class guys and there is a sort of, you know, being working class, uh, I don't know what it is for the other classes, I imagine it's the same. There is a, there is a kind of connection. I met John McVicker mm. a couple of times. I have more in common with John McVicker than I do with Stephen Fry. Mm. I mean, mm. you know, I, I can, there's just something where there's an ease. Yeah. There's an ease, which is just, you just, without having to talk about it you and particularly i mean alan was a goalkeeper when he was younger and i was a, i played in goal for a while when i was younger so we, we mm. kind of um and i because of my memory of st- my memory or my knowledge of stuff before me we could talk about comedians alan went to see a comedian called sid field oh yeah uh, on his 16th birthday at the prince of Wales theater and uh could still quote the entire act mm you know, yeah. 60 years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I kn- but I knew who Sid Field was and I'd yeah. seen the material yeah. that exists of him and stuff. So, yeah, there was a, a, a sort of, yeah, we, we got on very well. Yeah. We and there's, very and
0: well. there is also a, you know, I'm sure listeners find it with, with this podcast, but also it's lovely when people who love comedy just get together mm. and it's not about career. It's actually not even about the industry, but it's mm. just about comedy in that moment the, you know, like the hello mm, moment. Yes, and it's the, yes. And you realise that, a ho- and, and the, the steptoe episode, mm. where you just realise that, you know, nine wonderful things have come mm. into alignment at mm. the same time. Mm. And we all sort of smile at each other. The absolute joy of other. it and
2: how much comedy can sustain a, a real moment of drama. I mean, that's one of the saddest lines I think I've ever heard in yeah. anything. Oh, well, time to lock up the cage. Yeah, I really mean, love. he could, I mean, again, this was their precision with words. He could have said prison.
0: Yeah, 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 but that's yeah. not as
2: good. Yeah, your yeah, cage yeah, yeah. is the right yeah. word. Yeah there's yeah, you know, yeah.
1: a fantastic moment in that episode as well that I remember that still kind of sends shivers up my spine where they're, 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 the, the, the two uh, the, the younger guys kind of persuade each other that they, it's the the older guys are holding them back, yeah. and and, and li- literally in Leonard Roster's case because the older guy he's sort of limping and they're trying to they're trying to escape and you kind of you, you forget that these are two guys who are in prison and you, you kind of guess that they're, they're you know they're, they're not in there for fraud they've obviously they're not nice guys but mm. but Harold bonds with uh, uh, Leonard Roster mm. character and and there's uh, and and it's like the the the, then suddenly the older prisoner bonds with, with, with mm. uh, Albert, mm. and there's mm. it's, and and that whole and it's just there's a kind of world there's a world of it's almost like Shakespearean, and it's kind of this is know. it, and the older prisoner has actually
2: uh, corrupted the Leonard Rossiter character because he says because he's because it's something I'm trying to remember it now, but yeah. something like Leonard Rossiter works in a bank or something, and J. G. Uh, Devlin yeah, character yeah. comes yeah. in and says, "I knew you were the goods when I first saw you. I yeah. knew you'd be so." So he's been corrupted yeah. by the older man yeah you know um just on the thing with Ray, now just occurs Mm. to me that sort of you know when we did the home alone thing um one of the uh, and by that time we'd done eight of them and i was getting on top of it and i was finding a way of doing it my way without sounding like i was being tony uh, and being more confident about it and at the end of that one episode just me on my own alan said to me afterwards he said you didn't miss a laugh now that was Mm. Extraordinary. The other extraordinary moment I always think of when I, I was doing a, a, I did a one with Josie Lawrence where we're sitting on a park bench in um, uh, Saint James's Park in London. It was December time, and uh, Alan would be there just on this on location, just sitting there on a park bench nearby. Again, if there was a trouble with a line or somebody wasn't sure about something or whatever, he was just there, you know, to be mm. there and one, uh, we filmed over the course of five days until it got dark around about half past four and I was saying to Josie one, uh, we were walking back to the hotel and Alan said was, he said see you in the bar mm. like that and I, well, and I said to Josie I said, if you'd said to me at the age of you know 15 mm. that I'd be doing something <laughs> and Alan Simpson and I was saying to him this the next day yeah. I said yesterday as we were walking over and Alan shouted out see you in the bar I said if I'd imagined at mm. the age of 15 and I was interrupted by Alan saying see you in the bar <laughs> <laughs> and he's in the bar and he bought us Guinness, yeah, and, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah, so it was just an absolute joy to do. Yeah. It, it was a, it, it was a joy.
1: Was there ever any point where you thought, can we, can we do something new? That's, I, I,
2: I try. I, I, had a. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew that. I mean, Alan was very, you know, he didn't want to go back to doing it. You know, he just didn't want to go back to doing it at all. Uh, I, I sort of broached it a, a couple of, well, a couple of times. You know, in a very gentle way, but yes. he said, well. He said, well, he, and he's very clever he said well okay think of a situation and we'll we'll see if we can you know, so <laughs> yeah. I had to think of a situation that would please Ray and Alan so yeah. I, I couldn't yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah. very nicely done yeah, yeah. It, well, but I also knew that I mean and also because I'd read a lot about Tony I never bothered him particularly or Ray with, with sort of you know, Tony Hancock stories I knew all the stories yeah. I'd, I'd seen the interviews with Ray and Alan and we had done many uh, I've read the books where they've been interviewed so I, I didn't there was stuff I didn't need to ask them yeah you know, and yeah. so I think they might have appreciated that as well—that I wasn't always saying, you know, oh, what was Tony like or whatever. But they would, you know, they'd occasionally let things—you know—they'd say things like, uh, um, I, "I don't know if this was about Tony or not, but I—I I don't know if it was. It may not have been, but it was certainly about the radio show, where they were write in the radio show. And one member of the cast came in one week and said, "No, oh, I don't think it's as funny as it normally is." <laughs> and said <laughs> well, you're gonna have to try harder then, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they would, they would take no nonsense from them. Yeah, and I think this is also going back to the thing with Tony when he started doing his ITV show mm. and coming at eleven o'clock and go to the pub. You wouldn't, you couldn't do that with Ray and Alan. There's no, there was no mm. way. Yeah, yeah they yeah. would. You know, if they worked hard on this script, there's no way that you're going to the pub at eleven no. o'clock. Mm. And so once they weren't around, there was nobody to tell him yeah. to stop him no. to put yeah. a break on it. You no, know?
0: that's right. We've taken up so much of your time already and we're incredibly grateful. Well, that's the um, sound check out of the way. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes, great. I can't wait till we really go for it. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for take, taking us into your home um, and, uh, and answering our questions and giving us some amazing insights. Um, yep. so thank no, it was you. a pleasure to talk about Thank it. you very much indeed. Thank there is no upper the amount of geeking we can do about comedy, so thank you for not holding back. That's no, really good. Brilliant. Thank good. you very much.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheerio. Bye.